At Maximus, we are focused on the future of federal government. We deliver mission-driven innovation at speed and scale, turning insights into impact. We are a top systems integrator and leading provider of transformative technology services, digitally enabled customer experiences, and clinical health services. We help agencies navigate obstacles and anticipate the unexpected by becoming more agile, empowered, effective, and ready for what lies ahead. We are Maximus, moving people forward. Learn more at Maximus.com federal. You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMarkU. Each episode features a unique discussion led by public sector executive and global government thought leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. And today I'm also your guest because I'm sharing an episode of the Public Sector Podcast where I was a guest of Joe Tosti. I've been a guest on a number of different podcasts, but I was really excited about the conversation that I had with him and I wanted to share it with you. In the episode, we discussed the trend of younger generations moving into leadership roles within government and the benefits of open-mindedness and empathy, and the impact of technology on recruitment and retention. We also explore the potential for emerging technologies to improve outcomes in the public sector and drive positive change. And we delved into the concept of getting 1% better every day and the value of compounding growth and the importance of habits in achieving success. I really hope you guys enjoy our conversation that you follow Joe's podcast because it's a really good one. Today, we have Brian Chittister, Global Public Sector Marketing Executive, and the Government Huddle podcast host. Brian, welcome to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. Joe, thanks for having me. I'm pumped. It's going to be a fun conversation. You know, I'm really excited. I have had, I was going to say very few people who, who have a podcast, but the, I think the answer is actually zero. You would be the, you're the first one who hosts another oh. podcast. I always like to make history. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're making history today. I'm super excited about this. And before we jump in, you have a fantastic podcast. And I think the title of the podcast kind of downplays some of the people and in interviews that you've had. So like you've had Leif Babin on, like you've had some really great guests. Do you just want to, normally I just the end of the show, but actually I was a little bit inspired I was listening to one of your episodes yesterday. It was about 2022 trends because I wanted to go back a year yeah. and listen to that. And then we're going to jump into kind of what we're going to talk about. But could you actually just maybe plug your podcast? Tell, tell the audience a little bit more about that up front rather than at the end today. Uh, I mean, I'd love an opportunity to do that. First of all, you can check it out by heading over to governmenthuddle.com. But that's the name of the podcast, the Government Huddle Podcast. It, really what I'd like to cover is all things that are important to people that work in the government 
industry, whether you're on the government side, you're on the industry side, you're supporting the mission of the public sector. Part of that has to do with talking with government executives on what their strategies are, challenges, things they're looking for, et cetera. And likewise on the industry side, but some of the conversations that you were referencing with folks like Leif Babin and other kind of Navy SEAL leaders and top gun pilots. And I just had, I had Nate Boyer on a former army green beret who was a walk-on at university of Texas, played football and then undrafted free agent with the Seattle Seahawks. Now he's an actor, movie director, the guy's the ultimate renaissance man. There's just so many things that people can pull from these conversations to support their leadership or how they approach their job or their life and just just get, trying to get that. And that's the overall theme of the podcast, really trying to just get 1% better every day. So if I can provide some insights, whether that's being 1% better at learning technologies better or strategies better, or also leadership skills, so on and so forth. That's really my mission for the podcast. Okay, I love this. So the 1% better. Yeah. And you know, you probably heard the stat a million times. 1% better, it compounds, mm-hmm. right? And it compounds to something, what is it in one year? It's gotta be like 36%. It's, there's some stat like that. And I love that you want to come into the gym and get 1% better. You want to come into work and get 1% better. If I could recommend a book to any of your listeners, it would be Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's been one of my favorites. And he talks about this. The concept of it was actually sort of introduced to me, even though I feel like I've been trying to live my life like this throughout. Um, Really? Ah, there you go. For the the audience that's watching on YouTube, this is, yeah, it's super popular. It's It's one of my favorites. And, but I was interviewing Austin Colley, if the name sounds familiar, he's a former wide receiver with the Indianapolis Colts, New England Patriots, was offensive player of the year, his rookie year, and his career got cut short by, by concussions, but he actually works in the government technology space now doing robotic process automation. We kind of talk about that evolution. It's a pretty cool story. So you can check that out on my podcast. But he talked about the concept of getting 1% better every day and kind of bringing that into his job. And so I thought the concept itself was so cool. And then fast forward into, into getting into Atomic Habits by James Clear, he talks about the value of founding growth, right? as you're growing every day. And it could be as simple as it, because it seems you, you use Jim as a reference. So I'll throw this in there. He talks about, you might, it might be so daunting to go to the gym and work out for an hour. Right. But there's people that start habits by literally just driving to the gym. They drive to the gym, get out of their car then get back in then drive home. It just starts the habit or you get to the gym, you do one push up or one workout and then you leave and you so on and you continue to build on that. So I think that kind of construct just has so many different values that you can bring into your life in so many different areas, work being one of them, but it's everywhere, right? I mean, I want to be a bet 1% better husband, father, everything every day. So I think that's really the whole idea. And it's such a cool concept. Yeah, I love this. So I went to the gym this morning and, and when I say gym, I actually do like kind of a group fitness class. It's kind of like F45. If you're in Santa Barbara, it's called Prevail Conditioning. It's actually led by this husband and wife who are professional, uh, not, I shouldn't say professional, Olympic bobsledders. 
And now they Jamaican got their, Olympic bobsledder. <laughs> no, not Jamaican, <laughs> definitely not Jamaican. Um, uh, and, and I love, you know, I feel the hardest battle actually isn't there. It's just getting up at the same time every day, which for me is 5am. Cause my bed is, you know, it's warm. It, you know, if you're married, like for me, I'm next to my wife and, um, Sometimes I'm a little more motivated when my toddler jumps in the bed and kicks me. Then I'm like, oh, I'm getting out right now. But on those mornings when it's not that way, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to leave the comfort of my bed. And, you know, I've got Jocko in my head. You know, he's got a playlist, which is so funny yeah. um, on Spotify. And, it, you know, it just cracks me up because he's like in his deep voice. The bed is like the enemy. Get up now. Get up. Don't let this bed <laughs> conquer you. And so I've got like the voice of Jocko every morning when I get out of my head. I'm trying to get out of my bed. So, well, that, that's always uh, a great voice to wake up to, right? I, I mean, n- not to downplay 5 a.m. because I think that's great. I, I actually wake up at four, and part of the challenge that I've had, it's taken a long time to get into this. But like anybody who's listening who's a parent totally understands, it's the only time you can get to yourself is really before everybody wakes up. So, that's one of my big motivations to be able to take up then. But I do this with running, I do this, you, I just don't think about it. You just have to get yourself out of bed with running. You have to put your shoes on and go. And what I've learned is one, you're going to regret not doing it later in the day if you don't do it now. And it's that kind of regret that kind of pulls me out and pulls me into whatever I'm trying to do. So I'll just, I'll lace up my shoes and go and not procrastinate. I'll do what I need to do and just jump into it because I know once I'm into it, everything will feel better. I'll, I won't regret doing that. And that's, that's one of the things that helps me. Yeah, I love... I love, and I'm with you. I mean, you've got kids, you've got stuff going on. Yeah. The earlier you can get up, I know you got kids, we were talking, the earlier you can get up, the better. I ha- And I actually prefer 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. I'm in, I just had to come to the conclusion. So when I married my wife, she had a daughter that was five, Annabelle. So now Annabelle's 13. And so for any of you who have 13-year-olds or 14-year-olds Oof. at home, there, a lot of them are like little night owls. And so I needed a little bit more energy because she loves watching shows and Netflix and movies at night. And so after homework, and I just was like, I was going to before, but I was passing out at 830. And she's like, come on, this is like weak. I want to watch something <laughs> with you. So uh, all right, I'll go 10, 1030. Last night, I think it was like 1130. But I'm like, all right, I still got to give it a five. But yeah. That's, yeah, that's rough. Those, <laughs> those late nights, early mornings, it's hard to sustain that. Yeah, but you know, you know the, so, 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 yeah, go for it. I, I would say one of the things tying that back to to James Clear, one of the one of the quotes that he has in there that I think is really profound because I always looked at it and said, you know what, I'm just used to not getting a lot of sleep, right? I don't go to bed late. I'm asleep by nine, nine thirty at the latest, usually most nights, and I'm up really early. But he talks about how you don't get used to having lack of sleep, you actually get used to the level that you can operate. So you're actually, you become accustomed to operating at a lower level, which to me is scary, right? So, it, I mean, I think the, there, there's some, a lot of lessons there, right? One, not the least of which is the importance of sleep, but you don't want to, you don't want to unintentionally lower the standard. So I think that's, that was something that was really profound that I pulled out of the book too. Yeah, I know. I love that. Something in, I'm so glad you brought up Atomic Habit. This wasn't even like in our <laughs> podcast notes, but I'm. That's what I, happens I love when it. you bring a podcast host on the show? <laughs> I love this. Yeah, uh, and actually, this 
you're the first one, but actually on Monday, Martin Luther King Day, I'm doing a three-hour podcast interview with a guy who actually happens to have a podcast too, which is which is totally fantastic, called The Game of Crimes, and should be fantastic. It actually sits on, I think, Sentinel One Cybersecurity Advisory Board, and he does a bunch of speaking. He's like super big time. He's way bigger than me, but I met him at a speaking event where he was giving the keynote, and I was giving a little room note. <laughs> I don't know what you call it, but I had a ton of fun getting a chance to just meet him. And so for the, li- I don't think this episode will be out yet, but for those who end up listening, the guy's name is Morgan Wright and he was a previous detective and now he's got this cybersecurity crime business. And anyways, I don't want to lose this. Soon. So atomic coming soon. Yeah. Atomic habits. And something I've just been stuck on is so chapter two, how your habits shape your identity and vice versa. And he's got this three layers of behavioral change. And if you see it in the book, you'd probably recognize it from Simon Sinek's Start With Why. Inside, you've got your identity. The other layer is processes. And then the outside layer, kind of the outcomes. And then I love James Clare because you can focus on the identity. And I would beg to, to offer, if you can focus on the identity and just allow the compounding effect to happen. Like I saw this with a podcast where like the traffic did this. It was like nothing. And then sucker just went to the moon at some point. And I was like, that's fascinating. And so I mainly because I had a buddy challenge me. He said, Joe, get to 100 podcast episodes. I challenge you. Like you're, you're going to don't quit at 20. This is when I had five. Mm-hmm. One knew who I was, and and then I remember getting to 100, and then and now it's like 120, 130, just keeps going. And it's crazy to see the compounding effect of that. But going back to the gym, like if your identity is like, hey, I'm the kind of person that gets up at 5 a.m. and I go to the gym yeah. and this I work out, that's when the results start to happen. Honestly, so you couldn't have set me up better. First of all, I think when I think of identity, it's one of the things that when I – when I would talk and I actually back in back in end of September, I was down in Montgomery, Alabama, giving a keynote and literally what I was talking about was identity. And it came to me as I was in this book. It's I mean, you literally picked the perfect chapter because one of the things I was talking to these government leaders about is from a leadership perspective and an organizational perspective, you have to assume the identity of what you were trying to propagate, right? I For me, I was really talking about customer experience. And what I was trying to get across is if you are an organization that is going to prioritize customer experience, right? Or your mission is to make customer experience better, then you really have to take on that identity. What would I, and this is one of the things that that James Clear talks about in the book that I think is great. You have to ask yourself that question. Assume the identity of the person or the thing you're trying to do So for me, if I'm a government leader, what would an organization that drives best, best in class customer experience do in this situation? And if you align to that identity and you make your decisions based on that, everything will, everything will start to evolve from there. Right? So it's that foundational alignment. You couldn't have, I mean, honestly, again, it's funny. We, I mean, we didn't even plan this, but that is that it was that chapter that really I had that light, light bulb moment and how it tied into everything I w- that I was talking about. And I said, this is exactly what I want to say. So, so very cool. I love that. It's like, you're just like the older version of me. 
you're like the bigger brother that I get to go look up to and I can see the podcast and because you know, there's really like a slow down. Slow, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm young. I'm, up, only... I'm coming up on my hundredth episode. You're crushing it, man. I it's, it takes a while, but to build up that content, but, but yeah, it's congratulations on what you've done with this podcast. And I mean, you talk about me being the older brother, but I mean, you're a really good example for a lot of people. No, I appreciate that. I'm the young, I'm the young guy just hustling right now. Uh, but no, it's, I mean, you get it. It's a ton of fun. You have a lot of really yeah. good conversations with it's people. It's a cheat code. It's a cheat code, man. I look at it this way. I was talking to somebody. I mean, my, my ultimate goal is to bring on, and it's not, let's be clear. It's not hard to bring on people smarter than me. Right. And just learn from them. I look at myself as just being in the front front row of people learning. And I'm lucky enough to be able to lead the conversation and get out of these conversations what I want. And I just hope my audience is getting the same. I, so I kind of think if I'm sitting in the audience right now, what would somebody else want to ask? And those are the questions I'd like to kind of dive deeper into with my guests. But it just starts with bringing people on that are smarter than me. Like I said, it's not hard. Okay. I love this because I distinctly remember, <laughs> I remember going to dinner. I threw a live podcast event in Phoenix, went to dinner and afterwards having a, some conversation, this gal, Nancy Ranisak, she's, you probably know of her. She's the state CISO in Texas and she's talking to me and, and I'm just jotting some notes down and she's like, Oh, what are you jotting down? And I'm, and I remember at the table. So like JR Sloan's there, he's the state CEO in Arizona. All these people just come on the podcast and I just cop and I go, I just actually, when you guys talk, I just write down half the time. Sometimes I don't even know necessarily what you're saying. I just yeah. jot down and research it. And then when I prep for interviews, I just research it and make sure I've got all the pieces together. You're mm -hmm. all of the really smart people. I'm just collecting information, trying to yep. tell the arc of this story in a way. But yeah, I think people give me way too much credit. There's a lot, all of the guests that come on are a lot smarter than me. And so I love bringing on people a lot smarter. Well, it's cool. I hope I don't let you down today. <laughs> <laughs> you will not. You brought up Atomic Habits in the first five minutes. So I think we're in good hands. I want to jump back to this customer experience as identity. Yeah. I really like this topic. So I, I had an interview with a gal, Shauna Rogers. She is the chief digital and data officer for the Texas Attorney General's Office, OAG, and Krishna Etel, who at the time was in charge of Texas's cloud and AI. And the two of them came on, and what was super fascinating is they talked about the, the kind of the child child support payments and child welfare and and then and the impact of actually going into the community and then actually leveraging technology to kind of solve those problems. There's real people who are who mm -hmm. it's like you're not just building this cloud system, right? There's not just a database of people. You're actually trying to impact lives. And, and yeah. there are single moms out there and dads who are waiting on child support payments. And I kind of joke during this live podcast where I was like, well, I grew up, my mom was receiving child support payments, but the cloud wasn't a thing. So it's not exactly the kind of apples to apples, but you know, same thing. If you don't identify with the customer experience, like if you can't put yourself in the shoes of yeah. who you're trying to serve, you're just putting your own opinion and ideas out there, which is going to lead me to a really great uh, topic. So I want to talk about ChatGTP. And this is one of those topics where it's 
getting it, there's a lot of excitement there's some people who don't like it there's some people who do like it new york city public schools recently banned chat gtp out of fear concerns about negative impacts on student learning i have my own perspective my own perspective is that i think that's a ridiculous ban mainly because i actually was just working with a child uh, one of our friends children has dyslexia and so they have a hard time actually taking notes in class they're freshmen in high school and they have someone that takes notes for them and so i actually sat down and i said well what if we do this what if we record the lecture of the teacher on an iphone an ipad at least in california and i'm pretty sure in new york they actually give kids ipads in public schools so there's an app that i use for my own podcast called otter.ai. One of my favorites, you could use, there's, I'm sure there's a kajillion out there. I really like otter. And I actually did this for your podcast that I was listening to yesterday. So I recorded, I was listening to off my Mac, put my phone down, it listens to it. I grabbed the transcript and there's a couple things you could do. You know, I asked for a summary. I asked for top highlights, all surfacing within a couple seconds. And, and I was able to, take what I was doing kind of for the podcast and I was helping this kid who's a freshman and to synthesize her notes at a faster rate. So she's not far behind. So I think anytime you operate out of fear, it's the wrong perspective, but I love to hear what are you seeing? What are you hearing in the marketplace? How do you think about it? Love to hear from you, Brian. Yeah. I mean, I think that example is a classic kind of public sector story, right? It's one of the reasons why for a long time, there has been that divide between technology and adoption of emerging technology within public sector, because I think their standard focus has been, if we don't understand it, we're just not going to use it, right? Until we wait, until we understand it, right? And instead of putting some intentionality behind, hey, how can we, how can this make us better, right? So I think that's one. So, I mean, that's a long way of saying, I agree with you. I think just full out banning it is something that is is seemingly ridiculous. I also think part of what you're trying to do is, <clears throat> I mean, at the end of the day, it, one of the challenges, and just for the edification of the people listening, one of the challenges that they saw with this technology, they're worried about plagiarism, right? They're worried about people, students, leveraging this AI to be able to write articles, essays in response to prompts teachers give them so they don't have to do the work. I think there's ways to be able to police that. But I think at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is you're trying to teach these kids how to work alongside emerging technologies at the same time. It's for them to get better, for them to be part of that future workforce is which is the ultimately the mission of what ed, the education system is trying to do you need to have them envelop some of these emerging technologies the younger the better my my wife is actually a stem teacher and she has kindergartners coding it's insane i mean it's just basic things it's teaching steps and little if this then that type of scenarios but it, if you start their brains at a young age getting around the concepts of these technologies it's only can it can only grow from there right it's all foundational so I think that that to me is how I look at this. I think this type of technology is really the value far, out, far outweighs the, the cons here. And 
they should be putting more intentionality behind how to and looking at best practices on how to envelop this into the ecosystem. So from from an education perspective, that's at least my opinion. On the commercial side, on the public sector side, one of the things that, especially from customer experience standpoint, one of the things that organizations are looking at on private and public sector is how can you minimize human intervention throughout an interaction while also not only delivering an efficient process, right, but an empathetically efficient process. I think if you can do that and remove the human from the situation, you're not only going to make it more efficient, more effective, but you're going to save a lot of money. It's on average, it's, there's a stat out there, it's about $6 every time on a call center, every time a human has to intervene within a process or a situation in a call center scenario. Um, if you aggregate that, we talked about before, the aggregation of small gains becomes a lot of money if you can leverage automation and AI to learn and evolve and adapt to drive these processes, but do it in an empathetic way. One of the examples that I give, because em- empathy to me, empathy is, because people would ask me this all the time, what is what is an empathetic experience from a technology perspective? Well, for me, and it might mean different things to different people, but for me, it's just saving my time, right? I mean, don't waste my time on something. That's empathetic. If you're waiting hours and hours at the DMV, that's not, you're not walking away with a really good feeling. You're feeling like my time is wasted. But if, there, if you can scale out value and I'm in and out within 30 seconds getting what I need done, completed, well, that to me is empathetic. I mean, and there's a lot of other things too. People talked about the, during COVID, the uninsurance or unemployment insurance benefit claims. Well, it's not really empathetic to continue to go back and have to input this information, making the time span in terms of getting from the time you went were unemployed into you getting your benefits, making that grow larger. That's not really empathetic, right? Or continuing to have to be in a situation where you're feeling like a drain on government. That's not empathetic either. So how can you expedite that? How can you help them, these people in those scenarios? That's really what they are looking at. So if you can have technology facilitate that, and that's exactly what ChatGPT could do in this way, I'm all for it. I think the more you can drive, the better. Yeah, I like what you said about empathy. I think sometimes the busyness of life especially in, in, in the public sector where there isn't maybe necessarily that profit motive or driver, yeah. you just kind of lose the empathy and you just kind of go with the motions. And then as a citizen, so I consume services. And so like, for example, I have a business in California. So I consume a lot of both personal services, which I think most citizens do. This is the DMV. And then I have to do like taxes and other things like that. And sometimes I think to myself in the state of California, this person's never owned a business because if they went through this process, they would hate their life right now. And that's a tough reality. But, you know, I think a lot of times like I was I interviewed Dan Texar. They're doing this massive um, transformation for their business services. He's at the Texas Secretary of State's office and and they're doing this massive transformation. And I told him, I said, hey, when you get a lot of the legway done, can I test out all of the, can I just go through? I don't have a business in Texas, but but that's the way. It's like you get yeah. whoever your ideal person is and then you plop them in so that you can start to see the lens. I actually learned this. I worked at a property management software company when I was, when I was a lot younger. 
And it was like my first real job. And I worked as a technical account manager. And one of the things that was that I was kind of just blessed with to be able to do was to go on site to customers. Now, not a lot of folks yeah. got to do this. Mainly it was a PSG team, but the manager I had said it was, and he was an entrepreneur before. And he said, hey, this would be a really great experience. You'll get to see the the lens in which how they use the software. So I would go with the end users and and I would work with them, but I would look over their shoulder and see how they used it. And often, actually like nearly 100% of the time, it was different than how I thought, how I was using the software, mm -hmm. which was like radically like eye-opening for me of like, yeah. oh, I get it. I get why they use it this way now mm -hmm. and see that before. And so having that empathy is huge. And And, and I don't want to bash New York City. People make mistakes. They could come out tomorrow and say, hey, you know what? We made a mistake. We're going to turn around and we're going to open this back up. But I think having that discussion with the end users, which would be the kids, like, and I think yeah. there's the te the teachers have a perspective, but I'm sorry. I love, and I love my teachers. I talk with teachers as a high school basketball coach. I'm on campus all the time. And so I'm meeting with both kids. I meet with teachers. There's the sheriff's department who go to the games. I got to check grades. Like the students often what they're doing, there's a disconnect between what the teachers want and what the students are doing behind the scenes. And so I think being able to bring all those perspectives, the administration, the teachers, and the students together, you can really start to gel a comprehensive, especially on the technology front, like a really comprehensive layout of like, okay, here's how we could best prepare these students for the workforce, for college in the future. And so I think personally, it's kind of funny where like stuff I do today would be like, maybe it's considered like cheating, like using chat GDP, but in the real world, it's not, it's like, it helps speed up depending on what you're using it yeah. for. Correct. And I think there's a lot of really great use cases. Even when I was in school, I mean, I'm trying to think back, like it was like back then it was don't use Wikipedia, don't you, whatever. Like there's always something to not to use. Yeah. So. And technology is always evolving. Like this won't be the last thing. And you can't just, I don't think you could just go around banning everything. I think having that deeper understanding, having that empathy, figuring out, hey, what are the boundaries? But th th then it turns into a large discussion around what is the role of education in school, which I think are all actually super fascinating topics. Yeah. Uh, and so one's, one's, I mean, that topic alone is probably one that my, many topics that my wife's more qualified talk about than I probably am when I get into to that kind of thing. But one of the things I did take is I am older than you and that Cliff's Notes were the... like Cliff's the, Notes, yes! You go to the book, you go get the yellow books. Those were the things that were uh, were no-nos when, when I was coming up. Yeah. Not Wikipedia. We we still were using like Net, Netscape. Netscape, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I do remember Cliff, that was like maybe like senior year of high school for me. Yeah, that was always a, that was always a big no-no. But yeah, I think it's a fascinating topic. A lot of people have a lot of different opinions on it. And I think I'm glad we were able just to kind of scratch the surface. And I think like anything, like it'll be interesting just to see how different policymakers make decisions. It's a good and, example where, I mean, I think for, the, for a long time, the public sector has really given the Heisman to the private sector in terms of bringing them in and helping them understand certain things. And this is a perfect scenario where... If you don't understand it, right? I mentioned being intentional about understanding it, how to envelop it in your ecosystem in, a, in an ethical way, right? 
leverage, lean on the private sector, lean on commercial industry, because they're going to know it inside and out, especially like OpenAI, who literally created ChatGPT. Lean on them because they're going to give you kind of best practices around these things, right? They're going to understand the possibilities before it's even deployed to say, hey, this is perhaps how you can mitigate this. For a long time, it's just been a challenge. I think there, there's groups out there that are doing a really good job, like Megan Metzger over at Decode and others that are really kind of bridging the gap between private sector and public sector. But this is literally the embodiment of the perfect scenario where you can have the private sector come in and support you and how to roll programs like this out in an ethical way. Yeah, yeah, I think this is that. Yeah, you're spot on. Yeah, you're spot on. And I think even if ChatGDB was like, let's just say it was worth banning. I'm just going to take the other case. Let's just say it was worth banning for kids. Um, I think the ability to just keep your mind open to trying new things yeah. is invaluable. Because, yeah, you know, maybe a lot of stuff won't work out. But that's still okay, right? It's still, you, you, like, you still want to try stuff. Like, I remember... Even with like Bitcoin early on, I was like buying a digital version of myself. And like, I thought this was the most ridiculous thing on the planet that there's in the metaverse, there's some version of me and I'm buying coins and it's, and I'm like, this is lame. I'm like, there's no way anyone actually thinks there's value in this, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to try it. And maybe I'm going to be wrong. And actually, I actually got a funny Bitcoin story on that front. I took a in-person Stanford IOT course. And this guy comes in and he's from like the Bitcoin Institute. And early on, I'm talking Bitcoin had to have been sub five bucks. Oof. And he's making this case. And I just remember his ego having of like, just, dude, this is so lame. Like, Woulda, coulda, shoulda, huh? <laughs> and then I kid you not, I look back now and I'm like, I was a doofus. Let me tell yeah. you, not that everything turns out that way, but keeping an open mind and say, Hey, no, I don't actually understand everything. Yeah. Uh, maybe as well as I think I do. I think that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of lessons and a lot of things that we experience, but there's a big one there. I think being able to obviously open your, open yourself up to things, but also and we were talking about empathy. Another person I love listening to is Brene Brown. My wife actually turned me on to Brene Brown. See, she is smarter than me and former Texan or current Texan. And she talked about not just walking in somebody's shoes, but believing them, right? That's even more empathetic because they're going through these experiences, believe them. So I think when you hear something, obviously you need to filter it through your reality check type of meter, but if they're saying something like this, where somebody who is obviously an intelligent individual is talking about Bitcoin, then it's worth believing that there's a possibility there, right? Not just dismissing it outright and saying, no, this can't be, it's, this is dumb. I'm just going to just ignore this. At least saying, you know what, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to go do my research and do some due diligence into this. And perhaps you might still go the same way you would, but you're still going on that path to, to open your mind and say, I'm willing to believe that this could be big and I want to go look at it. And I think if you bring that type of mindset, that growth mindset into everything, I think you'll find yourself going down paths that you didn't expect, but ones that'll make it make things better for you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I love that. And I think having the kind of the grace to understand like, Hey, you know what? Either I miss this 
mm-hmm. bad. And like just having some humility. But I think having the conversation is super healthy. I think today, especially in the news media, I think people have lost their minds where <laughs> they get a little too little too crazy. But I think at least in the real world, that's not how it works. And and so I think having the ability to keep the doors open, keeping that conversation open and you know, come that, I think that's how you kind of actually come to the best Absolutely. the best conclusion. So, you know, let's talk about let's talk about layoffs. No one wants to get laid off from their job, but definitely an unfortunate reality. And there's a lot of layoffs happening right now all over the news, especially in the tech sector. You know, I think it's a harder, you know, harder economic times offer, I think, an opportunity for those in the workforce to take a look at the public sector as an opportunity for employment. What are you seeing and hearing from GovTech leaders today around the hiring marketplace? I mean, I can tell you what I'm seeing, and it's a trend that's happening that's been happening for a while now is some of the younger generation kind of moving into leadership roles within government that are coming from the private sector to be able to, I've called them deployments, right? Do a, do some type of deployment within public sector um, to kind of help them understand what they know and best practice. And at the same time, cause it's bi-directional, having these individuals that go end up going back into the private sector, understand what it takes to be successful when working with the public sector. That's something that people miss all the time. And I think is so important. As I look into this next year, one of the things that I'm kind of seeing is one, this trend's going to continue, right? That's not going away, but I think it could certainly, all these layoffs could certainly open the aperture in terms of talent moving into government it's almost the perfect storm in that, I mean, COVID happened, this shift to remote work or at bare minimum hybrid work within government, especially the federal government is moving forward and being embraced for the most part. But now you're having this wealth of talent that it's so hard to compete for on the open market, right? And at the same time, these are individuals that I mean, we've seen research reports come out, but I think there's truth to it that these younger generations do have a pull towards doing things for the greater good, right? Working in public service, giving back, volunteering. And I think that's fantastic. And this is an opportunity where I think you're going to see some of these people say, this could be a moment in my career where maybe I should look at the public sector, right? And I think this year, I think this year that's really going to happen. I think we're going to see a lot of talent, um, kind of moving into public sector at all levels of government. And I think it's only going to improve the kind of the efficiency and effectiveness and the understanding within public sector of some of these technologies and some of the ways of doing things. Yeah, I love that. I had a great podcast episode with um, Kevin Gilbertson, who's the CIO for the state of Montana. He's been on, he's been on twice, but one of the things I really enjoyed was he talked about this, kind of send them out and welcome them back alumni network encouraging you know former employees who want to come back and serve and bringing in the younger talent uh early on and then a lot of them will want to leave and go to the private sector but having them kind of circle back around and so you've got this ecosystem where i think the public sector benefits and i think that's a trend i've seen too is people yeah. is folks coming from the private sector to the to the public sector, I think is huge net benefit. 
I think mainly it's not even there's not like a technology difference, but I, just, I think it's just mindset of like what's possible and how you can move at the speed yeah. at which you move. And every time, so in the podcast world, I'll talk to people all the time, and I've got buddies who run different podcasts, and you talk about different teams and what they have going on, and um, you know, I think one of the big things is like the speed at which you can move. I've seen individual creators or smaller creators like myself versus larger teams and huge companies move so much quicker. And, and I think having that experience is so huge. And so if you can take someone who's, who has that, you know, we want to move very quickly and there, there's some great folks in the public sector who have that experience and then they're deploying that right now. And they are, even if you have been a lifetime public sector CIO, you can still go out and hire those people, right? You don't like have to go leave. You can go hire those people. You just build your team better. And so, but I think that's like a huge net benefit. Something that I think it's lost that, that I think technology leaders should think about, even those outside of the human capital management space is your interaction with citizens, not only drives citizen delight, but it creates a quote unquote employer brand. I mean, why do people look and say, I want to work at Amazon or I want to work at Google, I want to work at Apple, or I want to work at these cool companies. It's because their experiences with these companies have been really good, right? They see these cool experiences, these cool technologies, and they want to go work for a company that is, is part of that too. Fast forward now to government. Why would I want to go work for the DMV when every single time I have an experience with them, I'm like clenching my teeth, dreading kind of doing it, right? But if I'm working with my, whether it's my local government, state government, federal government, and there's technologies that are, that I'm seeing that these experiences are great. They're evolving. I can go work for an organization that, that does things this way. That's a huge staple and a huge piece of your employer brand. So I think that's something that, that gets missed is that every single technology leader has an impact on recruitment retention of these this next generation workforce the other thing i want to unpack there too is you talked about the agility and i think we've seen especially within the department of defense but also with federal civilian with ts you've seen these if you want to call it technology incubators right like like a kessel run at the air force or at the army futures command they're doing some really great things i think as you bring on some of these younger, talented individuals, I think you're going to start seeing more of these pockets of innovation happen in a more formalized way, right? With the establishment of some of these COEs within departments. And I think that's going to be really cool to kind of see evolve. Yeah, there's, I don't have an exhaustive list, but if of the people in the public sector that that I know and have kind of interviewed and have relationships with, I, I would go to work for. So, yeah, uh, me too. and I please everyone listening, if I don't mention your name right now, don't kill me. Don't send me an email, please. But I've got five right off the top of my head. Please, everyone's going to email me. Mandy Crawford, I'd work for her. She, her ability to dream and have vision, bring it together and in an empathetic way is absolutely fantastic so i yeah. work for her jr sloan out in arizona 
Yeah, that guy's got a great heart. I work for him too. Very smart, very caring. Corey Wilburn, he's now the CIO. He just moved. He's now the CIO for the Texas, uh, no, University of Texas's MBA program. Rob Lloyd out in San Jose, man, that guy's really smart. And he's got a really, he's got a really great caring heart, talking about empathy. He's out in the community solving really complex challenges in San Jose. Uh, and Gary Brantley, I'd probably go work for him. You want to go work in the NFL? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he came on the podcast when he was the CIO for the city of Atlanta. uh, And he was just absolutely just what he brought from the private sector to Atlanta and also having the perspective of public sector service and and yeah, I'd go work at the NFL right now. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to throw one more name out there. I'm going to take it international. A guy named Lawrence Atta. He is now, he's the former now chief technology officer for the city of Toronto. Did a lot of work with Google around driving connected communities and things of that nature. And I was messaging him just the other day and he was telling me about how he was going to be accepting a role to move over as an executive within the kingdom of Saudi Arabia to drive their vision 2030 initiative. I mean, you talk about a guy who embodies just humility, and but also dedication and perseverance. He is, and if you don't know the name, you there's you can go look at his background. But he he immigrated from Africa to to the UK for for education, and then moved again to to the US and to Canada and moved around. But part of his pull into public service was his experiences and kind of moving in and out of countries and seeing the way services were provided and kind of what was offered to him as an immigrant and on, like an underserved immigrant and really looking to drive that and give back. And now he's leading one of the biggest digital transformation efforts on the globe in Saudi Arabia. Vision 2030 is one of the most, one of the most highly publicized, but one of the coolest strategies that, that you'll see. And, um, as a leader, he's just incredible. So I'm gonna throw that on there too. Go look him up. If and my listeners or your listeners don't know, don't know the name, go look him up. You'll be really impressed. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go look him up. Got an episode with him too. You can check it out. Oh, uh, love that. Yeah. Anyone who takes this entrepreneurial like when I say entrepreneur, like I'm talking you don't have to run your own company. I'm saying anyone who looks at a problem and thinks, Hey, we could solve this. Yeah. You're an, that's an entrepreneur. That's yeah, in my book, hands down. Well, I know we're running out of time. Is there anything else that you would love to leave the tech table listeners with? No, I mean, honestly, there's there's so much we could dive into, right? I think, especially as we look into 2023 and beyond, I think one of the biggest challenges that governments is, government is facing right now at all levels is fraud, waste, and abuse, right? So I think you're going to see more development of blockchain technologies in government to support that. I think you're going to see a continued emphasis on customer experience, employee experience. But I think the biggest thing you're going to start to see is that gap shrink between emerging technology adoption and driving outcomes, leveraging emerging technologies between the private and public sector. I think you have a lot of really smart people in in really high places that are hungry and they have that pull to public service, but they have a drive towards outcomes. And I think that's going to be a complete game changer in this industry. Yeah, I know. I love that. And if you kind of curious, the audience is curious around why we talked about ChatGTP, that this was one of the trends and predictions for 2023. And I'm not going to lie, I had a list and we covered maybe one, maybe. I don't we'll even know do, if we we'll covered have to do one. do a part two, part three, part four. <laughs> yeah. We'll keep them coming. 
Yeah. <laughs> the, I looked at both trends from public sector and private sector, and yeah. there's some crossover, but I think there's definitely a different different perspective that the private sector is looking at than the public sector right now, which I thought was interesting. But we're capped, so <laughs> I don't know what to say. But yeah, we all have to have you come back and do a deeper dive on all of the various trends and things like that. But when you get two podcast hosts who want to ask layering questions and diving in, it, you strap in it could be a three hour long well, form this, episode this was a lot of fun i appreciate you having me on joe well i appreciate it brian and where's the best where's the best place for people to find you is it linkedin twitter where's the social spot on, yeah you can find me on linkedin you can find me on twitter twitter at chittister ab and check out governmenthuddle.com. would love to love to get some feedback from all of you please connect with me let me know if you listen to an episode if you listen to multiple episodes or you just want to connect would love to hear from you yeah, love that. And as a podcast host, it always helps the show when you drop some stars on Apple Podcasts. So head over to Government Huddle, head over to Tech Tables. Or I guess now it's the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. Drop some stars. I said five stars. Someone said, you can't tell people to give you five stars. I said, no, I'm telling people. Hey, drop five stars for us. Know, know your worth. Know your value. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> drop five stars. Exactly. Know your worth. Know your value. Drop five stars leave a review. We really appreciate it. And we'll link to Government Huddle in the show notes and appreciate Brian coming on today. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from techtables.com. And you're listening to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders. Through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events, we offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves. And to continue this darn good conversation, head over to the Q&A section on Spotify.